This is the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you call in and let us know what's on your mind. The number tonight is 603-435-1105. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about on any topic, and we'll be happy to talk with you and squawk with you, whatever you like. With you tonight is... Wayne and Michelle and Michelle squawk. Yeah, <laughs> that's squawk. Well, they have squawk box and all that stuff. Oh, okay. You know. I don't know. It rhymed. You know, <laughs> I'm a poet. I don't know it. So anyway, uh, this is our first show together. Snort. snort yeah, snort too. <laughs> <laughs> but this it's is our a- first show alone. That's right, alone, unsupervised, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> we won't tell about the G-man over here. <laughs> watching us he's just watching though he's yeah. not participating ian not, likes to watch not yet unless we really mess up then he'll grab the mic <laughs> let me have that <laughs> well yeah or like a couple weeks or last week when he you know cut me off because i said a bad word oh did you did you have to walk out no he didn't make me he just gave me a, a little quick time out because he had to get me keep me on in time to talk about spanking <laughs> did he sp- Really? So did he spank you for that <laughs> during the break? Or what? It was like a verbal spanking. It was like, I mean, he cut me off. It was like he just, like this, this flourish of movement, and I wasn't sure what was going on. And then all of a sudden, he's just, and Michelle has a time out. Wow. Yeah. Was it like the F-bomb or something? No, or? no, it was the S one. Oh, the S one. Yeah, that's not... You know, I try, even though I've been known to say those words on occasion, mm-hmm. I, I try to avoid them, uh, even on the Sunday night show, even though you technically can... Because it's just a bad habit to get into, and this is practice, obviously, for right. um, being on the other show, too. So I don't like to let those things go, but once in a while in real life, you know, you stub your toe or something, it's, it's, it's great. It feels great to just release. Well, it was, it's not that I'm a potty mouth. It's just that it, it was part of a, um, you know, if you throw enough blank at the wall, something will stick. Yeah. It doesn't really, you know, go the same if you say, if you throw enough excrement at the wall something will stick it just doesn't have the same how about duty you could say duty. <laughs> number two number two yeah but we've got we've got a few things to talk about tonight and we'd love to get some calls i know it's super bowl sunday but we'll have fun either way and uh, i want to hear about the score though you know yeah can, yeah we yeah. can look at that during the breaks mm-hmm. if we have to and uh and maybe uh, announce it but you know if this, this is a podcast so a week from now nobody's going to care because everybody knows know what the score <laughs> was. Point. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about, there's a lot of things to talk about, obviously, since we've met last a month ago and did the, the show with Sam last month. Yeah. And one, of course, is all the rioting and hap- the things happening in the Middle East. You know, my kid's dad's from Egypt, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is he there? No, but his uh, very favorite cousin, Kareem Gamaldine, who is a uh, pretty big filmmaker over there, is there uh, with his ex-wife and um, their two daughters and he moved from his home outside of the city into downtown so he could be right there at the square and he's down filming and the rest of the family is you know out in Switzerland or whatever now and they got out uh, so they didn't have to be you know risk their lives well yeah I mean they you know they were there during the 50s and then the 70s when Nasser came into power and then you know during the 6-day war 7-day war the whatever i mean there's i guess 6-day and um you know they had enough looting and they had their properties and homes taken away and no they're not going to stick around to uh subject themselves to that more but Kareem loves his country he loves his uh people he loves you know the just the whole 
you know, essence of Egypt. I mean, it is the only country ever that has an entire science devoted to it. Egyptology, you know, and so that culture and that civilization is um, definitely, you know, worth uh, sticking around for as far as he's concerned. So he's down filming everything. Well, you know, it, it's interesting how you, you speak about that, because I don't think there's anything wrong with loving one's country. The problem is, is when they use the love of country to demonize other people to go kill them. Um, you know, okay. I, I, I would love to. I have no problem with Mexico or Mexicans. I love Mexico. It's a great place to visit. You go there. You want to you want to see what the culture's like. And, and cu- there's nothing wrong with culture either, in my opinion. I, I think it's just a matter of of being OK and letting other people be free with their own culture and not trying to inject your own ideas or ideologies or, or goals into somebody else's culture. And, well, yes. Regarding the United States, you know, we have we're filled with so many uh, cultures here and I that was the melting pot I mean that was what was supposed to make us great right sure and sure. um but and, within the melting pot everybody keeps a bit of their own culture but then there's also in a larger American culture not not we're not talking about state culture here we're just talking about um, a general American culture about being right. American but that used to be when I was growing up uh, you know I mean we're close to the same age that was Thanksgiving and Fourth of July yeah and um you know, you weren't bad if you didn't have a Christmas tree, and you weren't good if you did, and you weren't bad if you ate, you know, ham on Thanksgiving as opposed to a turkey. You know, it's... You know, or filet mignon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so... Or tofu. That was, to me, that was what... So it was really the American dream, and, you know, within it was Thanksgiving on what, you know, and six months later or whatever was was uh, 4th of July. Now it just seems to represent... uh actually oppression domination and um and imperialism unfortunately that's the case oh but michelle you hate america (laughs) (laughs) i can you can just picture the and there you go you went and said america what do you mean by that (laughs) exactly because north america is actually canada the Mm -hmm. u.s and mexico try living in san diego and telling someone i am american they're like hey me too (laughs) well yeah Exactly. So yeah. what is America? And that's the question, because, uh, you know, they, they make it sound like we're all together in this thing with our government going overseas and, and killing people. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're not with us, you're against us. And, and it's, of course, it's and if juvenile. You're not, if, and you're not a patriot. Yeah, you're not a patriot. Well, of course, they also say, I think Thomas Jefferson said that dissent is the most sincere form of patriotism. I'm very patriotic. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But th- these are the things we have to examine. And there's a story that I've had in my show prep file for a while, Michelle. In fact, it came out a year ago, actually, uh, from earthblognews.wordpress.com. And it's entitled, A Citizen's Not Guide. Not entitled, titled. It's entitled. Oh, entitled. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A Citizen's Guide to Understanding Corporate Media Propaganda Techniques. Which, of course, the coverage of Egypt is going to be slanted depending on what network you watch as well. So I thought it would be appropriate. Also, the coverage of the economy right now. You know, if you look at the economy and, and you, in the last few weeks since the new year started, they've been trying to pump up the fact that the economy is getting better now and all these great things are happening. And uh, they're not saying green shoots now, but they're, but they're trying to get everybody lulled back into, into being asleep and spending money and borrowing money again, which is not working, but they're trying to do it. Right, by pointing at the uh, QE2 as well as the fact that the S&P and, and NASDAQ and Dow are up some, which I cannot, I'm short the market. So the fact that it's up yeah. is to me just a, a little ludicrous considering unemployment is, is higher than it's ever been. The credit expansion is higher than it's ever been. We're printing money, 
you know, like it's never happened in, in you know, 200 plus years in this country. There's so. 18 and a half million empty homes right now in America. Oh, <laughs> and those that doesn't even count the ones where people are still living in their homes that are being foreclosed on. But but the economy is doing great. It, well, then again, how do you define <laughs> the economy? Yes. Right. Now, because I, I, I've always broken it down because I think it's increasingly important to do this. And that is that, you know, you have the real economy, the main street economy, mom and pop, you know, small or medium sized businesses that are producing things. Uh, then you also have the government economy and you have the financial economy. Now, some industries kind of have have feet in, in more than one, like the healthcare industry kind of has its foot in the government economy and in the financial economy a little bit because of insurance and all that. But um those economies actually are doing okay because there's all the funny money's going in there first. But the real economy is... Right, is, and is, the government's telling us that we have to have insurance. Yes, by force, <laughs> yes. by gunpoint. Well, they're trying anyway. There's some move to repeal it, but we'll see what happens there. But you're right. Uh, but but even, even in many states, you know, you're required to buy uh, car insurance right. as state laws. Right. And, and the insurance industry, really, they, they, and they always refer to it in the media as health care reform, like it's really reforming something. Mm-hmm. And when really they should have called it the health care um, uh, cartel entrenchment act. Mandate, right. Yeah, right, because right. what they're doing is all the, all the interests that, have con- that are increasingly uh, controlling health care and making it more expensive are being further entrenched by the law. But we'll get back to that in a moment. Yes. Give us a call when you get a chance. We'd love to hear from you. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you take control. Give us a call, 603-435-1105. We'd love to hear from you. Tonight with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were just talking about the situation in Egypt and the media and all the good things that they spout out to us and and, uh, get us repeating. (laughs) You know, uh, somebody said, I just was listening to something about a week ago, and somebody was saying how we've become a world of repeaters, though. You know, you go to the doctor, he repeats what he heard in medical school and what the drug rep told him. Um, the people on the news are repeating what they read off the teleprompters or what the, uh, what the government ministry of, of truth says. Uh, and, and, you know, now because people are starting to reject a lot of those repeaters, we have the alternative media, we have people who are becoming uh, more independent in their thinking, and that's a wonderful thing. And that has something to do, I think, with some of this unrest we're seeing because people around the world are starting to realize that they're being sold a bill of goods and they're being robbed. Do you think that people are starting to realize that? Absolutely. Do you I, think that people... Okay, so we'll call that waking up for the purpose of this conversation. Sure. Do you, so do you think that people are waking up uh, as as quickly or... Yeah, I guess as quickly as um, people are kind of dying off? I think that people, yes, I think that people are starting to use, you see people using Twitter more, uh, mm. that they're reading blogs. They're, uh, a lot of people now prefer getting their news from the internet over watching television or the newspaper, which mm. is a very healthy sign. Now, not everything on the internet is true, obviously, but it's a free market of ideas. And so when you can read a bunch of different uh, people, different blogs, different uh, sources of information over time, 
they develop a reputation for accuracy and truth because a lot of these things either manifest or don't. And, and so that's where um, the free market analogy comes in. Whereas when you consider that um, you know, only a few uh, decades ago, there were thousands of independent media outlets in the U.S. And although today in America, there's like six multinational global mega corporations run by six individuals that control 96% of the content, you, know, you can see how that would get a little slanted toward the, um, uh, the bigger interests, so to speak. But do you think that the average person even knows who Rupert Murdoch is? You know, a lot of people don't. In fact, if you went on the street and actually started interviewing or people. Or Ted Turner, even. Well, Ted Turner's probably a little more popular uh, and well-known because, you know, he was because pretty he was famous. Because he married to Jane Fonda. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he, he, had, he had some face time back in the 80s when he first started CNN and he was, he was in the big magazines like Newsweek and all that. Right. Whereas uh, Rupert Murdoch is, is from Australia. He keeps a lower profile than, than Ted Turner did back then in, mm-hmm. in his heyday with, with CNN. But, you know, what's interesting is if you read some of the quotes from some of the people who run these networks, I'll give you an example. Quote, our job is to give people not what they want, but what we decide they ought to have. That was a former uh, president of CBS News who said that. <laughs> News is what some, someone wants to suppress. Every, everything else is advertising. That was a former NBC uh, news president. Uh, you can see how this would get a little fuzzy here, Michelle. That reminds me, that first quote reminds me of Jack Nicholson's character in, um, gosh, what was that movie where he, you know, he's a military colonel and he's... You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth! <laughs> that was With a, those eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Demonic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's. I think um, when when we were growing up, I believe the... USSR, you know, was we uh, it was TASS, I believe, wasn't that what it was? There called? was TASS, there was Pravda, right? But you know, the the funny thing is that that was the media in the Soviet Union, the evil Soviet Union. If you remember all the stuff right. we used to hear about it, uh, but the people in the Soviet Union, because I've had friends and I've known people, knew who, it was propaganda. They knew it was propaganda, exactly. Right. But in this country, they don't. They a lot of people believe it. They sit there and they watch. They they sit there with their TV dinners or whatever they've got in front of the television. They watch way watch way too much television. Mm-hmm. And and they watch all these people on TV, and and they it, it's it's the most brilliant brainwashing tool you could ever devise. And we're caught up in the well, Fox, you know, represents my beliefs, and yes. you know, NBC or whatever represents the other side, and it's the, liber- and, the liberal yeah. media versus the you know, Fox Republican lovers. Da da da. It's like oh my gosh, and and they're both spinning the same tales. Exactly. Well, we'll get into this with this article because I think you'll find it very interesting. Here's here's another quote you might find interesting, Michelle. Quote, the Central Intelligence Agency owns every one of, of any significance in the major media. This was said by William Colby, former CIA director. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a quote, direct quote from a CIA director, former CIA director. So, talking about framing the debate, which is exactly what um, you were just talking about. This, this is one of the techniques they use. Uh, debate a legitimate issue and ostensibly have both sides represented, but instead on the continuum of opinion, uh, have one uh, from the middle and one from the extreme view, and thus contain the debate to meet your ideological framing and goals. Alternatively, have a strong debater for one side and a weak debater for the point of view you would like to suppress. Mm-hmm. How many times have we seen that? Mm-hmm. Uh, framing, and here's, here's a little definition from, from Wikipedia. Uh, a frame in social theory consists of a schema of interpretation, that is, a collection of anecdotes and stereotypes 
that individuals rely on to understand and respond to events. In simpler terms, a person has, through their lifetime, built a series of mental, emotional filters. They use these filters to make sense of the world. The choices then they make are influenced by their frame or emotional filters. So that's how they, they do this with, with you know, the so-called right versus left, for example. So one's perception is, is um, basically defined by this set of... Uh, of hot button issues hot buttons, or, yeah. or whatever. Emotional so, triggers. Yes. And so you identify with the so-called right or left based on the, the, the box you've stuffed your brain into mm-hmm. uh, based on your conditioning throughout mm-hmm. your life especially in the, you know, probably college and after mm-hmm. when you start really be caring a little more about the world. When you're younger and you're snowboarding, you don't really care about what's going on. You know? <laughs> I started skiing and snowboarding when I was old. What do you mean? <laughs> well, well, I'm talking about our kids' generation. You right. Know? right now they don't care about this stuff and they probably think we're wacko. But, you know, we, we're doing this and I think I can speak for you, Michelle, to say that we're in this room because we care about our kids' futures. Right. And we want them to grow up in a freer uh, world and a freer country even freer than when we grew up, which was much freer than we have right now. Well, you know, I, um, I have a, a weekly Skype chat with my daughter, Ziza, who's at college. And, and uh, you know, I text her at 11 and say, oh, 20 minutes. And she drags herself out of bed, you know, and crawls to some place where she can get reception. And yes, mom, I've got my coffee. Hello. And um, she's making full, you know, taking full advantage of all the experiences of college. And uh, she was telling me this semester she has a political science class. And, um, you know, she's taking, she's taking classes that are required because she does want to get a degree. She made that decision that she wanted to get a degree at the onset. And, um, as opposed to just educate herself, she's, she's educated. She doesn't need to go to college to be educated. She wants a degree. She wants to go to Broadway, blah, 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 whatever. So she's telling me about this political science class where they've been discussing what's going on in Egypt and, Every single kid, it's a very wealthy school. So these kids are coming mostly from Republican families, I guess, or wealthy Democrat families who are um, not Muslim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, they had some, they were all basically on one side and it was not the side of liberty. And she was against that. We'll pick that up again, Michelle. I'd like to go into that with you a little bit more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you can call in and let us know what's on your mind. The number is 603-435-1105. It looks like I might have a, we have, might have a caller here, Michelle. Oh, my. Let's see who this might be. You're not going to screen them? Uh-oh. No screening. <laughs> Hello, you're on Free Talk Live. Who is this? Uh, this is Brett from Indiana. Brett from Indiana. How are you tonight? I'm just fine. What can we do for you? What would you like to talk about? Um, I had a, just a couple of thoughts about the whole Egypt situation since you guys were talking about it. Sure. Let it rip. Um, well, one thing I think is, uh, I think the whole way to, uh, one way to think about it is, I think it's a good way to show how uh, how people can, you can survive without a government over there because, you know, with all these protests, I've seen, you know, you've seen see a lot of amazing videos coming out of there over on YouTube and everything, just 
how the people are getting together and trying to handle their own situations, even without the government. That's because, right. You know, there are, yeah, go ahead. Because, I was, was, yeah, was going to say the, the, okay. the Christians and the Muslims in many cases are hand in hand. Uh, protesting right. against the government, not just protesting against, um, but guarding one another. Like the um, people were guarding the the Coptic churches so that they could do their Sunday service, and then they turned around and and did the same at the mosques. Yeah, and the only people getting killed are the protesters being run over by the police and diplomats, and the provocateurs out there causing violence yeah. too. As it turns out, and right? You know, it, it's it's showing people can you know. People are, you know, do love each other. They can work together. They don't need a government to force them together or anything. You know, these people, they're, yeah, they're watching each other's neighborhoods, you know, trying to keep the looters away. I've seen videos of people, you know, they're surrounded by the, you know, by the riot police, and they're just standing there with the riot police all in a big circle around them, just praying, you know. They're not doing, you know, not doing anything showing. They're not wanting to get violent. It's the police that are really looking to do, the police and the government that are wanting to do the violence, you know. Right. So are you saying that that that, that is a, an argument for anarchy or voluntarism, as we prefer to call it? Yeah. Oh, of course it is. I mean, yeah, you can you, you can use that situation, I think, to show, hey, this can't happen. You know, why do they they think they need to have another government? But they're showing the whole world they can probably do this without one. Now, where are you calling from tonight? I'm in uh, Indiana. That's right, Indiana. So have you yeah. have you seen... Uh, uh, examples of this in your own state, where where something happened and and people pulled together despite racial and religious differences. You know, yeah, it it uh, yeah, it happens. I mean, I've seen, I know a lot of people around here that you know, some, you know, because I know I've had some from like old friends from high school and stuff, or just people around town that I've known. Because I live in a real small town. I mean, it's like one third the size of Keene up there. And, you know, some, somebody might have, a, like, a house fire or something. You know, their house gets burnt down. They've lost everything. You just, like, people quickly just mobilize on Facebook, you know, sometime on the Internet. They will, like, just pick stuff out of their house they don't need, and they will, you know, send it to these people. They will, you know, call people up, hey, if you got anything, you know, these people need, you know, send it my way. I'll get it to people that can help, you know. They don't, you know, they don't run it off of government. They're doing this all on their own without, you know, anything from the government, anything like that. They're not being forced to. It's all voluntarily. Well, you know, people, people generally are, you know, very caring towards each other without being forced to. I was in Nashville last year during the floods, which, you know, I say the floods and neither of you two probably realize how... Uh, disastrous that was because um, FEMA monies weren't accepted and um, the National Guard wasn't called in. Uh, the churches actually, you know, got together. Um, primarily, it was the churches as well as the um, musicians in Nashville. And um, so according to someone who had worked for the Army Corps of Engineers down in Katrina, as well as the um, Haiti. Uh, he said that the the financial cost of of the uh, disaster in Nashville was more than those two things combined. Um, I know Kenny Chesney, for example, lost two of his rigs each, like three million dollars. I mean, you know, like the the cost was huge, and a lot of it wasn't insured because downtown Nashville is in a flood zone, and the government has interfered. With, with the insurance with market. With insurance, yes. And um, the stoplights weren't working, but, you know, and cops were busy trying to, you know, do something else. And people just took turns. You know, you just went through. There were no accidents. There was no looting. Um, and, um, in fact, 
the I lived right downtown and um near the farmers market and the rain the water was up to the stop sign out a block from my house. Wow. Isn't there a river that runs along there? Yes, yes. exactly. And yeah. that was, the river had been let go in Kentucky and that's what caused all the backup. In any case, um, I went down to the farmer's market area and we, my boys and I were trying to help people who were, you know, waist high in water, trying to get their possessions out of the stores. And the news, Channel 2 News, I believe it was, came down and did not get out of their van, but they... They shot video and claimed that we were all looters when, in fact, we were actually uh, neighborhood people um, trying to help the owners of their businesses trying to get their property out. And there were Christians, there were Muslims, there were people that were from India. There were people, there were five languages being spoken. That's awesome. And no, no people, you know, spoke the same language. And it was all, we were all working together and everything. And so, yeah, that was a perfect example to me as of how uh, government, in this case, the police were not only not necessary, they were a hindrance whenever they did get involved. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in support of self-government. Well, I, I was in the middle of the Northridge earthquake in 1994 in LA, and that was a really nasty mm-hmm. earthquake. And people were so traumatized by it that a lot of people would actually sleep in the parking lot outside their apartment buildings because they were afraid to go back in. And, wow. they, and the psychologists were had a field day there because so many people were just freaked out over it. And then the aftershocks after, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of damage. I was in San Diego. I felt We felt it all the way in San Diego. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure about. you would have. Yeah. And the building that I was in, actually, I was on the top floor at a friend's apartment working on their computer that night. And I went to sleep about 4.30 in the morning. And I actually took, I kicked my cowboy boots off and I, and I wedged, I kind of got in their couch and I was sleeping in the couch. And when it happened about 6 a.m. or so, I was thrown around in that couch like a pinball. And you're a big guy. Around the whole room because it was at the top floor and it swung around. So that, that whole area was devastated. But when I went home, uh, my house was up on the hill in Bel Air and it wasn't uh, affected. But I just remember all the people that were helping each other, all the, their apartment yeah. buildings collapsed and people were, no matter who they were, were going and helping mm-hmm. to get people out of buildings that had collapsed. And, and it was just a real outpouring of, of, of support and, and love for each other mm-hmm. and care for each other that you don't normally see. Mm-hmm. You know, you can fight all you want. It's like a family. You can fight all you want. But then when, <laughs> when the, the chips are really down, yes. the family pulls together. Right. And, and that's what we all are. We're really a family. Uh, so, humanity is. So, Brett, I know... Um, I recognize your voice. You are a writer for Cop Block. Yes. Any, so I know this isn't exactly on the subject, but are there any updates about Ademo, who is in, in jail and has been for um, almost, gosh, it's almost, is it almost two weeks? Oh, it's almost two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Any updates? Um, I've kind of been, I've been a little bit out of the loop the last like few days and stuff, I know. But you wrote you wrote um, a letter though to Judge Burke, didn't I, you? I yeah, I did. Yeah, I so I participated in that letter writing campaign that mm-hmm. Heike was doing. You know, I did. Uh, yeah, last yeah Monday, I think it was this Monday this week. Yeah, I did. You know, the first batch of letters I was, I, you know, I wrote one in. You know, being real nice to him, saying to just basically, you know, hey, you know, we're we're we are watching. You know, not just in King, people across the country are watching this, and it's ridiculous. You know, I've talked right. to people here in my town, and they've told me how you know how ridiculous this whole thing is you know giving him 60 days in jail for for cursing at him which it wasn't you know he did curse and it was an outburst but that certainly is is a gross misuse of the power that's been lent to him by the people of keen and 
So um, let's see. It was L-U-V number two, Burke, B-U-R-K-E. Or wait, Love Burke. No, okay. So Love Burke to Liberty at Yahoo.com. Number two, Liberty, yeah. Yeah, and it's Love, L-U-V. So yeah, I think that's great that you wrote a letter. And I know my daughter Aziza wrote a letter, and I'll be writing one this week. It was great that you called. Yes, thank you so much for calling in tonight and sharing your opinion on that. Have a good night. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Edition of Free Talk Live. I'm getting something here, and I can't tell what. There we go. <laughs> did you just, did you have a, was there a glitch in the Matrix? <laughs> no, you know what, I forgot to hang up on the last thing. So I was, I was getting oops, the little... It's an oopsie-daisy. Yes, it was. It was a, a mini-stroke on my part. <laughs> uh, with you tonight is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were just talking about the situation in Egypt and the way people were pulling together to help their fellow human in trouble, regardless of race or religion, which we think is a wonderful thing, and we hope we see more of that. And previously, we were also kind of threading this whole conversation with some of the corporate media propaganda techniques that they use to uh, persuade people, because obviously this form of media has become a device to form public opinion rather than informing people. And you and and I are both Christians. Yes, we are. So, so we have not bought into the propaganda that Christians are good, Muslims are bad. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they're extremist uh, Christians too. They're oh, extremists. Like Timothy in, McVeigh, hello. Yeah, they're extremists in every religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Judaism has them. Christianity has them. Uh, the uh, Muslims have them. Doesn't matter. There's, uh, it's I've hard never to find heard them of any Buddhists. extreme Buddhists. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's hard to find the extreme Buddhists, but they're probably there's probably a few. Uh-huh. But uh, we wouldn't find those. And, and actually, I studied Buddhism for a while because of that, because I saw mm-hmm. how peaceful they were, and I, I wanted to understand what that was all about. So I went through a period of, of being a Buddhist, actually. Uh, well, actually, did you see anger management? Uh, yes, a long time ago. There were some angry Buddhists in that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There were. There were, but that was uh, for the purpose of, Hollywood. of comedy. Yes, it was Hollywood. It was very, very funny, actually. Mm-hmm. But we were also talking about some of the techniques, and I wanted to get to number two, which I think is pretty interesting. It's, it's entitled uh, Programming the Viewer's Attitudes. This is one of the most common propaganda techniques. Cover a story complete with your ideological spin, and then follow up with interviews of so-called ordinary people who support your point of view, but frame it as the popular point of view or only the only point of view. If you have to do a thousand interviews to pick two, the viewer never knows. The viewer walks away with a powerful form of subconscious attitude programming as they hear the propaganda point regurgitated by someone just like them, so to speak. This same technique can be used on letters to the editor, emails to news uh, hosts, or wherever else cherry-picking of public opinion can be conducted without tipping off the viewer. I'm sure we've seen a bit of that as Mm -hmm. well. Because they want you to think, oh, everyone else is thinking this way. What's wrong with you? Right. You're for liberty? What's, what's wrong with you? Right. Just get with the program. Look at all these other people. They have no problem with it. Well, my, my favorite one that I mentioned earlier is the patriot. You're not a patriot. Yeah. Which, you if you're not America. a patriot, means that you're a commie. Right. <laughs> Far <know>? from it. <laughs> right. Far. In fact, the techniques they're using and, the, and some of the things they're doing are actually very communist and very Soviet. Yes. 
in nature. Yeah. That's what the Soviets used to do. Right. But as you mentioned, though, um, and I wonder what the difference is between the people within the USSR who understood that that TASS and Pro, is it Pravda? Pravda. Yes, were um, you know propagating uh, disinformation or misinformation, um, and yet people in this country are have so easily hoodwinked into you know buying the farm. Well, it's a lot more sophisticated in this country because you have all these different media outlets. And, of mm. course, now they're, they're owned by six corporations, but they weren't always. Right. So, you know, and at one time there was more honest reporting going on, uh, less so than today, even though it was still controlled even back 30 years ago. Are you referring to, the, like, the yellow journalism of, of Hearst and that sure, sort of thing? Sure, sure. It, it goes back, but, I mean, there were still uh, more varying points of view 30 or 40 years ago than now. Now you've got big six major mega corporations that control, you know, over 95% of the mainstream media, including magazines, newspapers, television, radio, you name it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's more sophisticated. And, and it's also, you know, in the Soviet Union, it was about the, the party, the, the, the Communist Party. So you had one party, one right. titular party. Whereas in this country, you've got the right versus the left, uh-huh. which basically is actually more useful. It's actually better because it gets everybody fighting amongst themselves exactly. and distracted. Right. Whereas the, the, the one party thing is more difficult to keep everybody charged up. Unless you you got right because the one party the KGB and the Soviet Party so uh, yeah the Communist Party um, if you weren't for them you had to be quiet and you had to insulate yourself and and um, it's or get sent off to uh, internment camp yeah Siberia Mm -hmm. and. be fed, uh, uh, well, you drink water with heavy fluoride. And- but it forced people, I think, to really make a stand, you know, and to really, th- because there was a cost involved, you know, whereas um, I guess, you know, I would say probably that part of the difference is timing. And in the 70s and 80s, uh, early 80s particularly, we'd had a recession. There was a worldwide recession. There was, um, there was, there was not the internet and the television with satellite and everything that there is now where there wasn't such easy access to and uh, to being apathetic and to being kind of lazy. True. Whereas I think that our society, you know, we're, we're being fed and we're eating it with our mouths wide open, you know, fisting food into our mouths, the proverbial food of, of laziness and apathy. So and we think we have a choice. Right. All right. We've got a call here, so let's see who this is. It's unscreened, of course. <laughs> Hello, you're on Free Talk Live. Who is this? Yes. I got Hi. a question for... Well, uh, tell us your name. Yeah, where are you from? Vince from Indiana. Oh, my gosh, a lot of calls from Indiana. Hi, Vince. How are you? Uh, like, uh, Michelle and, uh, and Dwight, Wayne, right? Yes. Uh, Wayne and Michelle tonight. Wayne and Michelle. But, uh, listen, I like what you're talking about, and uh, but... Uh, because I was going to bring up something, because I'm going to law school right now. I'm sorry. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm 55 years old, and sometimes I wonder. You're how old? 55. 55. Good for you for continuing your education and keeping your mind sharp. Well, I'm trying, but, uh, you know, they didn't fill all the slots here at Indiana University this past year. And, you know, but that's that's a different discussion. But um, I wanted to mention, because we've been following a case. From last July, um, it was called Patients' Rights. Mm-hmm. And basically what had happened was this lady who lived in a nursing home fell, and the CNA that treated her was black. The lady that fell was white. But in her package, 
of uh, information. Uh, they didn't. She did not want to be treated by blacks. Oh and, dear. And uh, well, that's quite prevalent. That's not not I... only white; it's blacks too. Because they went to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals back in July of last year. Now they said that uh, her civil rights had been violated by this nursing home because it was. Uh, I guess they awarded her $84,000 judgment, but that's all been put on hold because the case is under appeal right now. But So she but, fe- uh, so if you, could you give us some more of the facts of the case? Like, so she fell, and was there anyone else around to pick her up? Yeah, well, they had to go get somebody else. Oh, They finally got brother. a white nurse Wow, who helped her up. I but, want... Uh, I wonder if she had, um, instead of living and getting, you know, picked up off her tushy, if she had in fact died, um, if there had would have been a case by her family to sue the nursing home for not um, intervening to try to save her life despite there only being non-whites available. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. They didn't ask that particular question. I'm that would be a very good because. Uh, that, I don't know because they didn't address that issue. But uh, so you're uh, you're in she Indiana. She was under a guardian. She was under a guardianship mm-hmm. with her her son her son and daughter. You so, know they handled her finances and all that. So. so so what do you feel is the real issue with this case? Well, the issue was uh, over racism because they said the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals said that the people. You know, Patients cannot utilize race to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer that was representing the nursing home said, well, we have a minority-owned nursing homes, you know, where they're all black, and they don't want whites. Mm. Matter of fact, they don't want, you know, blacks don't want to be treated by whites. Okay, now, well, are these so nursing homes... Are these nursing homes privately funded, or are they in any way state or federally... Funded. Well, they they take the you know the Medicare and the Medicaid and the private insurance. They yeah, take, so then they're going to be black, white, yellow, pink, whatever. Get over it. Yeah, they get everything involved. Get yourself a private nurse and have be yeah, in your own home. I mean, but the insurance company, private insurance companies, are cutting off you know people staying at home because they want to send them to nursing homes and right. If I fell I mean, out with that old, I, I would I would I wouldn't mind if a space alien or a leper helped me <laughs> up. I don't care, yeah. just help me up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh, I fell down the stairs at the courthouse last week, and I was, I would have, I would have uh, appreciated the uh, the bailiff, who's a state representative, you know, uh, picking me up. So, is there more, or should we carry you over? Well, no, there's not much more other than I just want you know get your opinion about racism because I don't think racism is just the whole province of white people. I think it's wow. Well, okay, we'll hold we'll you over. That. Hang on. This is Free Talk Live. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you take control. Give us a call at 603-435-1105. Let us know what's on your mind, whether it's on the subject we're talking about or not. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were talking about Egypt a little bit and and the media and how they manipulate people's opinions and keep everyone fighting amongst themselves. 
And Michelle, you know, I think that uh, the previous caller was was talking about that case in the nursing home where the woman, uh, I guess, refused to be picked up by the black nurse. Correct. Well, she had actually had something in her contract saying that she was not to be touched by the black people. Oh, boy. I can't believe what if they, she was blind. I can't, I can't even believe that they allowed that they, they allowed that contract to to fly. You know, if I if I saw if I owned a nursing home and I saw someone had that on there, I'd say adios, see ya. Well, next. It, that's why I asked whether or not there was any state or federal funding because I can't imagine with the Equal Protection Act that they can even that they can even honor that contract. Yeah. You know? You know, sometimes things there's a little slap on the back. You know, somebody who might own the nursing home might say, "Okay, I'll take care of it." You know, right. because there are people in that generation that are pretty vehemently racist, and probably even more so when they get grouchy and uh, <laughs> and know. old and codgy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, ra- racism is something that, that's that's insidious, but I I think that you can't at the same time you can't legislate. Racism. You can't legislate it out of the system. I think you have to do it by over time with education, with with uh, uh, positive examples of sure. of how racism uh, works against people. Um, I'm doing my best, and what I determined that I would do is my contribution is I would marry someone outside my quote unquote race. I happen to believe there's one race, the human race, but for the purpose of this discussion, we'll say race. And so I just think that everyone should intermarry, and that everyone will turn out peach colored. <laughs> I'm vanilla. My ex-husband's like, you know, a, in between milk chocolate, dark chocolate. My kids are milk chocolate. It's a lovely thing. Well, my father is English and Swedish, so he's very light, you know, blue eyes. And my mom is 100% Italian. Mm-hmm. And there was a big thing back in the 50s when, when my parents married because my dad was Protestant. My mother was Catholic. Mm. And my dad converted to Catholicism for my mom. Mm-hmm. And it, it caused a huge problem in my dad's family. And, and then the Catholic priest told my dad that he couldn't go to his sister's wedding. And so he didn't go. What? Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't go to the Protestant wedding. He couldn't go to the Protestant, his sister's wedding oh in the Protestant gosh. church because now he was a Catholic and he couldn't go back there. You've just brought the discussion of propaganda full circle, haven't you? Yes. I, well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it, keep it threaded in there because it's such a part of our lives. And I think people don't realize that. And getting back to the propaganda, uh, one of the other techniques, which I think you'll find interesting, because it, it kind of um, covers what we're experiencing tonight with the Super Bowl, is distraction. Mm-hmm. Instead of covering stories that matter, cover irrelevant, trivial stories about entertainers or celebrities and blow them up into grand productions so that you don't have to discuss anything that really matters or when something happens that you don't want to discuss but ordinarily would be forced to by public uh, public opinion to discuss generate a distraction of your own sensational making sensational making which you discuss instead mm-hmm. now i'm not saying the super bowl is that purely but but it's it's Brittany one of those not d- wearing panties was or was a wardrobe something. malfunction at the super yes, bowl a few years ago right. and get everybody talking about that mm-hmm. and then of course uh, then you look at some of the bills they want to pass and they, they've yes. got in committee at the time. It's just, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, one of the other techniques, uh, the next technique uh, I would want to mention is groupthink. How TV programs often revolve around groups of people delivering the content or opinion because people instinctively believe groups promoting a certain opinion, uh, they believe them more than they would one individual. This can be punctuated by so-called experts or a group of experts who collectively come to the so-called correct conclusions so that you don't have to think. Right. Well, when you have really well-educated and, um, and brilliant minds such as, uh, you know, Richard Gere promoting Tibet, 
<laughs> you know, mm. and and Richard Gere was so popular at the time. Suddenly, Tibet uh, became you know there was a sticker on all the cars: "Free Tibet, Free Tibet, Free Tibet." Most people couldn't find Tibet on a map, or you know, did, nor did they realize it was. It's really more of a, a culture than a place, you know. And um, so, yes, I, I think that we. Um, I was trying to think actually on the break if I, cause this kind of relates to the second one you mentioned, whether or not I've, you know, found myself falling into that sort of thing. Have you ever, have you ever said or done something that you caught yourself later uh, thinking, Oh, wait a minute. That was, that, that wasn't me. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. And sometimes if you, if you watch the mainstream media and I do on occasion, because I like to see, uh, where the herd is going so I can go the other way. <laughs> you contrarian, you. Yes, I, I most definitely am. But, you know, it's very compelling and seducing, and they use a lot of emotion, they use imagery, and they use different things to really uh, uh, persuade the public, the masses, mm-hmm. that, that this is correct, that the economy is getting better, and, and uh, that these people care about us, you know. And and um, and then I, I, I have to pull myself out and go, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> This is not true, mm-hmm. but it's very persuasive. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see how people who aren't as well informed get sucked in. But the, the whole idea, I think, Michelle, and I think you agree with me on this, let me know if you don't, is that the more different opinions you hear, the easier it is to ascertain the truth. So that when you can hear a wide variety of opinions, not just the right versus the left, but you know, the, maybe the libertarian, the anarchist, the whatever, the communist even, you hear all the different opinions and, and you can... You, you can make a more formed, informed decision about how you feel about something. See, I come from a, a totally opposite position, and that is that you need to be really rooted and grounded in your basic fundamental principles. And mm-hmm. from there, whatever you hear, then you can filter um, using those basic principles as mm-hmm. the foundation for your thoughts you know in the same way like with diet you know it's okay Mm -hmm. if you get eat some junk food once in a while as long as your basic diet is really healthy so even if you you know um if uh, if some propaganda flies in there and you act on it if the if your basic being is is um principled then that that'll just kind of wash away and and you'll be steady in your foundation you know, that's a good point, and I agree with you on that, because I think that, that if you believe in freedom and you believe that the humanity is better off being free than being under the thumb of dictators and, and oligarchs, uh, then then w- from that point of view, you're going to see through a lot of things anyway. But um, uh, but I still think that, that even in, uh, even if you're rooted in, in your beliefs and your, and your principles, I always try to even examine those, too. I, I always try to revisit my own principles and beliefs from time to time to see if maybe there's one I adopted that maybe I shouldn't have. Right. You know, because that can Well, be, the key is keeping it pretty basic, too. Yes, that's know? true. Yeah, well, the, aggression, the non-aggression principles Perfect. is pretty basic. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, how can... I just don't see how I could argue with that, or many people Correct. could when they think about it. But a lot of people actually do agree with that, but then they don't take it far enough in their own life. Mm-hmm. Or they believe that somehow the end justifies the means. And, um, and it's, you know, it becomes important to be a do-gooder. And so that's fine for us. But those poor Arabs, they just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I actually heard, who was it? It wasn't Hillary Clinton. It was someone, I was catching something online. Someone, oh, 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 I know. I was watching Charlie Rose. 
and Henry Kissinger was on, and this um, other gentleman. He was the he was the middle uh, interviewee, and um, he was he's a writer and a syndicated columnist, I think. And um, he was talking about the need to help the Egyptians improve their education. I've been over to Egypt. There is poverty like you just cannot imagine. However, everyone speaks at least one language. Most people, even the quote-unquote uneducated ones, speak two. Even if it's for them to become more effective beggars, they still speak English because the Americans are the ones that are going to hand them a, you know, a, a coin or two. And um, our when you compare that to the United States, where most people today cannot complete the eighth grade and exit exam from 100 years ago who are college educated. I sat down to take this. My grandfather used to say, oh, I only had an eighth grade education. Okay. Well, I went to take the exit exam that he had to take at the end of eighth grade. I got like four-fifths of it right. Amazing. And, I, and I'm really well educated. So. So we think. <laughs> we'll be right I think back. Therefore, I am. In just a minute. Welcome back to the Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, where you take control and call us and tell us what's on your mind. The number is 603-435-1105. We've got a caller. Let me pick it up here. I don't know his name. We'll find out. Oh. You're on Free Talk Live. Did you hang up, dude? I guess he did. I hope he calls back because I messed up on the board here. <laughs> I was talking to him and I didn't realize we were coming back on. So you're doing great, Wayne. This is Wayne's. This is Wayne's maiden voyage. <laughs> um, he's getting. He's popping his cherry tonight. Yes, I am. It feels great. <laughs> and um, but there is a lot. I mean, I can tell you, there is no way that I would want to be sitting in your seat. As you said, I get to just sit here, and when I'm not, when we're on the break, I get to eat my salad. But you've got all these buttons over there, and these lights going off. I would be freaking out. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to the board and everything, but, you know, we have another caller. Let's see who this is. Hello, who's this, or where are you from? Dude, is this Free Talk Live? Hey! Hey, it is. <laughs> am, I like, am I, like, on the radio Hi, Sam. Dude, you're on the radio. <laughs> hey, you Sam too. Y'all are Dodson. doing a great show. Well, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> I, I'm learning the hard way. I'm, I popped my cherry on the board here. and, uh, <laughs> I, and heard it's, the, it's... Uh, I heard the busy signal that ran all the way through the break, and then you brought it back. That was amazing. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that great? That's right. You can hear the break on the on the on the stream, right? No, no. Well, it, it cut off, but then it came back when the music bed kicked back in. But uh, anyway, I, hey, I wanted to call in and contribute and talk about um, compassion and sort of uh, gratitude and apply it to one of the situations that's going on up there with. Uh, Pete and uh, Damo, uh, just a, a quick recap. I'm sure most of the audience knows what I'm talking about. Pete was arrested in court um, before the court was even in session for wearing a hat by one of the bailiffs. It, there wasn't even a judge in the room. Uh, it's pretty outrageous what happened. And uh, that night I wrote a letter and drafted a bunch of very um, logical 
well-reasoned, uh, uh, just a, a well-reasoned response to what had happened, and I sent it to the uh, New Hampshire Ju- Judiciary Committee, as well as uh, Bill O'Brien, who was my uh, lawyer that I paid like seventeen thousand dollars for to <laughs> defend me in the uh, the case that I went to jail for, and he's yeah also the Speaker of the House copied a number of uh, media folks and and so forth. And I brought up a number of points. I covered them that night on the show when I called in. But, uh, you know, the bailiff has no authority to do this. Pete should have been granted a hearing for the judge uh, in order to uh, explain why he uh, was wearing the hat. And if good cause is shown, uh, Edward Burke should have granted a waiver for the rules, which is rule number one, that he can waive any rule for good cause. And, and it's supported by the New Hampshire Constitution, as well as Quakers, and it, it goes back a long ways. So, you know, Sam... So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, was, no, go ahead, I Wayne. was going to say, the thing about hats is that, you know, in the old days, the real old days, it was customary for a man to remove his hat when he went into any building, and a man usually tipped his hat for a woman, for example, and that was etiquette back then, but that's not what we have today. That's no longer the case. So, to me, right. it's just most, mostly sort of a subjugation ritual for men in a courtroom, because it's like if you're doing sales, you want you want the person you're trying to close to, to agree to something really small at first to get them down yeah. the road to, to buy. So when you get the men in the room who are higher in testosterone and usually probably cause more trouble in the courtroom, right away you want to make sure you lay down the law and, and that they know who's in charge. Make an example but, out of him. Exactly, because that's, that's how courtrooms work. You mentioned that men customarily... You know, according to Hatticket, yes. um, would, you know, t- t- touch the brim of their hand, uh, hat, tip their hat or remove it, depending on, you know, the social situation at the time. Women would wear hats into court and in a church, and the only women that did not were whores. That's right. W- women always wore hats indoors. That's right. Yeah. So, so you know, if, if Judge Burke is concerned about civility, he's going to stick to those, you know, old you know, uh, customs and everything, then he ought to be, you know, finding all his gals in there who aren't wearing hats as hookers. <laughs> well, maybe, but I think it's more, I don't think that he cares about that. I think he just wants people to listen and yes. he wants order in his court. And of course he wants them to know who's boss. And so again, I, I think it's more of a ritual to, uh, to get people uh, with the programs in the courtroom. That's right. It's, it's all about obedience and, and showing that, hey, I'm in charge up here and you have to respect me and um, I pretty much own the people in this room and if you don't do what I say, then I'm going to uh, lock you away in a cage. Whereas, you know, he talks about community standards and when Adam was sentenced, he said, well, you didn't offend me, you offended the... Uh, the, the court. The court. And that's like, you know, if somebody if somebody said, hey, Sam, your videos really suck, mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't go back and say, well, you didn't offend me, you offended my <laughs> network. <laughs> I mean, I'd yeah. be called crazy if I did something like that, but yet, and, and then if I were to take that person and throw them in a cage, that these are, are socially acceptable norms that he talked about, the reason for, uh, for caging Adam in the first place, it's just... It's so ridiculous, and it's very easy for us to get kind of caught up in the right and wrong, how dare they do this, and and get angry and so forth. But I, you know, and I, I wrote this letter and brought up all of these points and you know made it made them very well. 
and not a single person from the New Hampshire judiciary or the the mayor of the town or anybody responded. And it's been over uh, or about two weeks now. So, you know, I, I could get mad about that and say, well, you guys should have responded and so on. But I, I've kind of thought about it and learned or, or just decided to interpret it with gratitude. And the reason for that is really what they're doing is they're by by not responding what they're saying to me, that is a response. They're saying, Sam, the problems that you are bringing up to us are so big, we're not even capable of responding to you. And, and so what they're doing is, is stretching a rubber band. You know, it's, this is kind of an analogy. They're, they're spinning the wheel of karma, and they're moving further out on it. And the further they stretch that rubber band, the harder it's going to snap back. And when it comes around, it just means that the universe is going to handle this and it's going to create something that is that much more fair and just. What it's doing is really allowing a space for, you know, something far more effective to come into being. So that's kind of... You're an optimist. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're an optimist, I tell you, Sam. It's I nice agree to with hear. you, Sam. I, I do. It's just we don't know what the timing is going to be, but but when people... Are exposed. I think it's sooner rather than later. At this point, maybe because uh, the all the all the fake prosperity is sort of going away, and and you yeah. know now what is left? You know the granite countertops are gone. The new car every two years is gone, and and now right. people have to get back to what's real and what's true, and that can be a positive thing in the long run. We just have to make the painful adjustment to it. That's right, and I think what's happening in Egypt and. And the Middle East overall, it's not just in Egypt. It's something that you want to talk about in a couple minutes. Yes, we'll hold you over, Sam. (laughs) And let you go on. Okay, we'll be right back. It's Free Talk Live Sunday Edition. Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live, the show where you take control and you call in and you tell us what's on your mind. The number is 603-435-1105. With you this evening is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were just talking with Sam about the the, uh, Liberty on Tour guys and the situation in the court. Let's get back to Sam here and see what else he has to say. Sam, are you there? I'm here. Hey, guys. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we were talking about kind of just finding ways to be grateful when the bureaucrats do these things. And for me, the, the real understanding that I've come to is it's, it's, just under, it, it's just knowing that karma is out there. It's something that exists. And for every action that these guys take, it's going to come back to them tenfold. If they do good things, it's going to come back to them uh, ten times. If they do bad things, the same is true. And well, so, yeah, and you know the wonderful thing about civil disobedience as a form of of uh, political uh, activism is that it forces people to show their hand. It forces the tyrants to right. to show how violent they really are because uh, they'll hide behind that uh, by by getting order and intimidating people. So then you never get to see really how violent they can be, and and that's the the, the first step. And that's what Martin Luther King exposed. That's what Gandhi exposed. And that's what a lot of people 
uh, are doing nowadays to to show just how violent the state can be over the most trivial and, and thing. I, I think the awakening is really, it's on. You know, it's gaining steam. It's gaining momentum. Sure, there are still a lot of the, you know, people out there watching the football, and that's that's like their world this week. You know, that's all they'll talk about. But there's there's a lot of people who are waking up to the reality. If you look at what's going on in Egypt and the the people, the citizens, or, well, I hate to call them citizens, but the <laughs> people of Egypt creating their own the neighborhood patrols. <laughs> and uh, you hear about the people in New York just plowing their, getting out and shoveling their own streets because the city's failing them. And how long will they keep doing that and still pay taxes? That's right. I think we're Thank you close. for bringing that up, Sam. I was waiting, you know, I was waiting for my opportunity to jump in there and suggest that people ought not to support this. Uh, this uh, That's right. And I think system. we're getting closer to that. You know, the as the, the, the we're, we're kind of like the uh, sinking ship analogy. The rats run to the highest point on the ship. Well, the the U.S. dollar, being the world's reserve currency, is the high point on the ship. And so we're going to be the last ones to go underwater. And I think Egypt and the Middle East and some of these other countries are kind of the in the third-class you know, cabins or whatever. They're, they're lower on the ship, and they're the ones feeling it now. But I think this is going to sweep around, and we're in for one heck of a ride over the next uh, couple of years. And I, I think it is going to be sooner rather than later. But because it's been yanked to, or just, the, the, you know, the rubber band analogy has been pulled back and stretched so far towards authoritarianism and this uh, technical dictatorship and the control grid that you hear Alex Jones and others talk about. I mean, it's it's, go- it's going so far in one direction that when it does come back the other way, I think we're going to enter into a, a true golden age uh, where we do see a lot of these uh, voluntary ideas and a voluntary society emerge. It's going to be far more compassionate and caring and, and just an amazing place to be. I don't necessarily yeah, share I don't necessarily share all of the same optimism that Sam does in at least in terms of a holistic approach. I do think what we will see is um possibly greater tyranny and oppression, but that there will be small cells and networks and groups who band together that completely disregard the government and almost and become a voluntary society within the larger society of oppression. And we just don't pay attention to the government. Well, an oppressive state uh, can only get so far if they don't have the consent of the people. If people just stop participating, the reason why they have power is that we give them our energy. We give them our support. We give them our, our, um, you all give them your money. Well, exactly. (laughs) Well, and they, they keep us, they keep us, uh, within their little paradigm because we all still use their their fiat currency. Exactly. And I think silver, there's a great video I watched. Now, Wayne, we've covered the sort of the financial, the paper manipulation and the uh, short selling and the naked position of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and so forth in the gold and silver markets. I watched a video that's in my favorites at obscuredtruth.com. Uh, that just talks about the supply side and, and the supply and demand rate aspect of silver. And, I mean, it's, it's getting close, and I think that could be 
what sinks the ship, you know, what sinks the the dollar and finally does it in when people realize it, it, right now it's all a, a confidence game. People still believe, and when they start seeing very real signs that, uh, hey, this paper money is really not worth what we think it is, I think, I think they're going to jump ship pretty quick. Uh, well, it's already happening around the world. There's, there's some countries, even yeah. Mexico now is doing it. Now, a lot of these riots in, in Egypt and some of the other Middle Eastern countries, they're saying they're, they're ha- they have to do with food, too. The price of food has, has been going up. And shortages. Yep. And shortages of food because of the dollar is actually part of the linchpin here because of the way the dollar is being debased, it's also affecting their currencies and their supply and demand situation for food. In some of these countries, they spend a much, much higher percentage of their income on food than we do here in this country. Mm-hmm. Although last year uh, we had 30% food inflation in the United States, yet they say the inflation rate is, what, only 3%? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right. what, about that, what about the unemployment report that came out last week? What a joke that was. It's down to 9% now. Yeah, but they I don't read tell something you- today that it said, actually that Weiss report that you sent me, it said it was 17, but I, that's still not... Um, that's it doesn't include everybody. Measured. It depends exactly. on what measure. But mm-hmm. but it went from 9.8 to 9, and they didn't tell you that over half a million people are now not even in the statistics anymore. Looking. They, yeah, they're not right. even looking anymore, mm-hmm. supposedly. Right. So I don't. Uh, I guess the real question is, what don't they lie about? Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's no trusting the state, and that's that's part of what I think people are waking up to. And at some point, Joe Sixpack is not going to be able to buy his beer and sit down and watch his 400 channels of uh, cable TV and drive around in his car because gas is 6 or 7 or $8 a gallon and food costs twice what it used to. And there are a lot of people who are, are living paycheck to paycheck and just making ends meet. And, I'm going to play devil's advocate you know, here for a second, Sam. and. Sure. And remind everyone of the fact that back in the 30s, you know, there was the Depression. And what came out, out of the 30s? We had the Social Security Act. We had the... War. World War II. We had war, but we also had um, all of the, the Marshall Plan and all of the government intrusion of FDR. So it's not as though um, the the excess of the 20s, which then led into the Depression of the 30s, that what came out of that was, you know, a wiser, smarter. There was actually more entitlements came out of that out of that actually and so i am not as i'm not as hopeful and optimistic at the eminency of this turnaround that you're talking about sam and when you see the difference michelle is that today the industrial base is gone the manufacturing is gone you know they have the the country is in a very different position than it was in the 30s uh just because of the the incredible growth of government and, the debt and i too. think this this is this people is the, will see that that's the problem and that's what will bring about the changes in the opposite direction in the 30s we still had the manufacturing base in this country you still had yep. uh the a creditor nation uh now mm-hmm. now the united states is the biggest debtor nation in the known history of the world and and so there's a lot of things that 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 uh, could happen now that wouldn't have happened in the 30s for example in the 30s because um uh, our, our money was still fairly stable. Is that they they basically deflated the economy, allowed that to happen. They they did they did well, prop up some prices, to, but they. I was going to segue into what was happening at the same time though in Germany, where people were going to the store to buy bread with a wheelbarrow full of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they had war reparations for World War One yeah. to pay, and so that's why they were printing so much money because they couldn't keep up with all the money they had to pay out in war reparations. And we're printing and printing yeah. and printing. Anyway, Sam, uh, can we hold you over? 
for one more time? No, you guys are on your own, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you did a great job. Keep up the good work. <laughs> good All night, right. Sam. Good night, Sam. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. We talk live. Yes, and we're back. The Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. We love to hear from you, so give us a call. This is the radio show that where you take control. 603-435-1105. And just remember that if you're calling from a phone or a cell phone to know what your long-distance plan is so you don't have long-distance charges slapped on you unwittingly. And tonight with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And we were just talking uh, in the last segment with Sam. And Sam is very optimistic, obviously, of the future and of, of the fact that the state is losing credibility left and right. He's and, so sweet. And He's, he is. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with him on that. The timing is another story. And, and my hope and prayer is that really that, that, that the transition to a more voluntary society can happen with, with, uh, without too much um, upheaval. Because it's, very, it's likely in some cases that there can be some major upheaval and some major... Uh, trauma to, to society when when uh, a government the size of the United States collapses. And I, I worry about that. I worry for all of your children, including my own. And, uh, you know, I, I think that by expressing some of our opinions and, and trying to educate the public about what is coming, rather than allowing them to remain in their brainwashed stupor of everything is okay and uh, the normalcy bias, as we've talked about before, that maybe people can take some precautions and start to think about what's going to happen or what can they do when things collapse? And you're seeing examples of spontaneous if order. If you wait like in, till it collapses to do something, you're too late, though. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. But in Egypt, for example, in, in some places like you were talking about Nashville, spontaneous order does cu- kick in pretty quickly and people do start yeah. to help each other and work together hand in hand. And, and that's a great thing. But, you know, neighbors are not all going to prepare. They're not going to be mentally or, or physically prepared for this. So, you may have to be the strong one to to console them, to let them know things are going to be okay. Don't worry. If the U.S. government collapses, mm-hmm. we may have to kick in some money to get the troops home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have to do some things that, uh, you know, patrol our streets <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. and things like that. Wait, wait. We may have to kick in some money to get the troops home, meaning the military troops? Yeah. It, oh, it, no, that was a voluntary contract. Well, They're on their own. <laughs> well, you're, you're right, but there are people who might have ki- kids over there in the military. Then they and, can, like, get their kids home. And if, and if nobody is is taking dollars and all of a sudden there's a major collapse, and this is this is a worst-case scenario, but this could happen mm-hmm. uh, because you look at the Roman Empire and some of the great empires that collapse, and when it, when it happens, all of a sudden it's like a big hulk, just like, like a building just coming down in a controlled demolition. That you know they could be stranded in foreign countries without a way to get home. That they, they bought the propaganda. Be all you can be. Yeah, that's true. I'm that's just true. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> no, you're you're right. I mean, I I see that side of it, Michelle. But I still think that if I had a neighbor or friend whose whose son decided or daughter decided to go in the military, and uh, you know, if I could help in any way to get the them home, the key was neighbor or friend. Yeah. Not this collective, we've got to bring the troops home. We've got this obligation because they've been over there. And that's been part of the propaganda. They're over there fighting for your freedom. Yep. And so that propaganda lie that has been, you know, perpetrated and that so many people have have gobbled up um, is uh, 
a big part of that problem that we've discussed, been discussing, you know, with the idea of patriotism. But, and you know, the, but the, us, the longer a war goes on, this was true during the Vietnam War, too, because I remember as a kid, is that the longer it goes on, and especially when it's a useless, futile war, that the guys who are over there come back and start talking, and, and, and it gets harder and harder for them to get people to go over there. And, of course, during the Vietnam War, we had a draft, mm-hmm. and now we don't. Mm-hmm. So now it's an all-volunteer force, so it becomes increasingly difficult to get new people to go over there. Uh, when there's information, uh, right. new information showing how, how BS it is. Right. So that that's working in our favor. Uh, and, of course, they've had to lower their standards to some degree to get uh, new people recruited into the military. Yeah, now. something like 80% of the of the new recruits cannot complete a physical fitness, uh, you know, exam. Sure. Basic, you know, 20 push-ups and 50 sit-ups, you know, run a mile. But that's also why they have boot camp, too. Maybe they just make the boot camp longer. They can get people in shape quick enough if they have to. But Americans have become soft and lazy to some degree. And you see more obese people. You go into any big box store now and you see people waddling around who think, how do they get that way? You Americans know? are U.S. citizens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, again, I'm using the word, too. You're well, we, right. were, we were talking about that on the break there, about how... Um, does anyone know when... When we started using America as opposed to U.S. or the United States, or, United I'm from States. the States or I'm from yeah. New Hampshire. Because America is really, um, North America anyways, really Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. Central America, of course, being, you know, at Nicaragua and Costa Rica and whatever. And then there's, of course, South America. But but America, um, I'm, you know, I lived in San Diego for years and, and I will never forget have someone, I think it was a... Um, Who's my gardener, actually? <laughs> you know, yeah. And we were talking about things. And, and I said something about, you know, being American. And he said, yeah, I'm American, too. And I said, oh, so you got your citizenship or your green card or, you know, whatever. And, and I wanted worked for me, we, you know, for a long time and, and was a good friend. And, and he said, no. He said, uh, but I'm from Mexico. I said, yeah. And he goes, that's part of North America. And, I mean, I felt like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Because it just, I had really been kind of brainwashed into thinking America was equal to the U.S. Well, it's like when I was in Hollywood, they would refer to the entertainment business as the business, as, as if that was the only business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so we, a lot of people refer to America as, as if the United States is, is, is only qualifies for being called America right. and everything else is just trash, I don't know, whatever, yeah. just insignificant. And that's that's the sign of a of a narcissistic empire, I would say. Well, and I also think that it's the, um, you know, the double speak that George Orwell talks about, you know, in 1984, and how once the once the government can redefine language and uh, get a hold of that, then it's easy to to um, you know program people. It also kills me when people say we're over in Iraq or we're over in Afghanistan. No, we? we're we're not over there. <laughs> Yeah. But again, words right. are so important because mm-hmm. they, they actually reflect how people think. Ian catches people like that all the time. You know, yeah. he's saying, we'll be doing He's like, what? Who? Who? Not me. Not me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Ian, Ian is, uh, is definitely, uh, you know, he's a young guy, but he's, he's just, he's, he's, he's got it together. Yes. But, he's kind of an old man, too. <laughs> well, he's very mature. Yeah. <laughs> he's very mature for his age. I, I, the first time I met him and, and getting, getting to know him, I just I couldn't get over how together he was for someone of his age because when he came up here, I think he may have been 27. Uh-huh. You know, that's amazing. And he had been doing radio already for 10 years. Yeah. But getting back, uh, Michelle, to what we were talking about earlier about some of the, the propaganda techniques. We had discussed, um, you know, the programming, the viewer's attitudes, distraction, groupthink. And the next one is guided interpretation for the reader or viewer. 
Now, mm. this one you, you might recognize as well. In this technique, a journalist or anchorman will tell you what someone else has said. In some cases, quotes will be taken out of context, but in many cases, an entirely concocted version of what was said will be passed off as the truth. What was actually said will not be referenced because if the viewer or reader has access to what the actual content was, it exposes the fraud. That being the case, this technique is dangerous because if the reader or viewer does uh, have access to the source, the propaganda becomes apparent, leaving distrust. And that's, I think, where the, the uh, alternative media has exposed mm-hmm. uh, the mainstream media and things like this. But it's something that's still used, but, uh, but maybe to a lesser extent because of, of the alternative media. And then we've got fluff and ice cream cones. Everyone loves an ice cream cone, do you? I love ice cream. Well, run some feel-good story about puppies and teddy bears. And regardless of what really happens or the actual state of affairs, convey the message that all is good, America is great, and things are the same as they they have always been. Uh, Leverage what people like and what people are compassionate toward and build trust and leave the viewer feeling happy and complacent. Uh, Most importantly, establish trust and goodwill in your enterprise. Do everything necessary to give it the appearance of legitimacy. Always. We've heard that one. Mm-hmm. We've seen it before, too. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it definitely works because I felt those little, those little butterflies in my stomach sometimes when you see a story that, that evokes emotion mm-hmm. and it gives you hope for humanity. And they very cleverly and strategically place those stories in there to grab the audience and establish some cr- trust and credibility. Mm-hmm. And then there's artificial reality. By framing the entire programming of the network and by subtle editorializing over news stories, you create an artificial reality, posing as the truth. As a media mogul, you drive the programming and choose what to cover and how to cover it through your upper management, programming and editor selections. As a viewer, it is critically important to remember that every word read comes from a teleprompter, and the people who write it and edit it, the copy, are the ones actually delivering the content. And uh, a quote by Rupert Murdoch, for example, he says, For better or for worse, my company is a reflection of my character, my thinking, my values. Which, you know, okay, so so let's think about that. My company, um, I would say, yes, that's true. And in the same way, William Hurst, you know, who was the really the uh, developer of yellow journalism, um, the National Enquirer and all that. <clears throat> Pardon me. It is their company. However, there is a duty, I believe, as a reporter to report the facts as you see them and to... That's not going to do anything for your career, Michelle. <laughs> right. Nowadays, anyway. We'll get back so to that in pre- a moment. We're not protecting the First Amendment. We're protecting his company now. Free Talk Live. Give us a call. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. The Sunday night edition of Free Talk Live. Give us a call if you get a chance, 603-435-1105, and let us know what's on your mind. And uh, Michelle, no air guitar this time? Oh, no, I was playing the drums. Oh, that's right. the guitar. I like doing the air guitar. The guitar you do the drums. drums. That's a great, yeah. that would, we'd make a great band. <laughs> we, need a, we, need a, we need a bass player, too, though. We're airheads. <laughs> <laughs> air guitar people and air drum people. But anyway, Michelle, we were getting back to what we were speaking about with the media and the artificial reality that's, that's manufactured so brilliantly by the mainstream media and the, the corporate media. And 
uh, Rupert Murdoch and people like that who who basically impose their will um, uh, through the media outlets that they own, and they're able to manipulate a lot of people and and con a lot of people. And of course, the newscasters and the, the personalities, so to speak, that are there are reading teleprompters, and they're not using their own words. I mean, we pretty much we're ad libbing most everything that we talk about on this show, and a lot of the, the alternative <laughs> sure. media. No, really. <laughs> yeah, we're not, I can assure Big everyone. Surprise! Big surprise! We're not reading from teleprompters, and we're talking off the cuff, and that's. I guess that's part of the charm of the show is that everything is so spontaneous and and um, uh, authentic as, as as much as we can make it so anyway. And uh, but anyway, getting back to some of these techniques that they they use, we, we had just been discussing artificial reality and, and all that. But also uh, George Orwell uh, has a lot to say about this too. For example, he said, "Never again will you be capable of an uh, ordinary human feeling. Everything will be dead inside you." Never again uh, will you be able be capable of love or friendship or joy of living or laughter or curiosity or courage or integrity. You will be hollow. We shall squeeze you empty, and then we will shall fill you with ourselves. Is that creepy or what? Mm. That's George Orwell, mm-hmm. and but that's that's the way things are moving, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, getting on to the next technique because I really like to get through these for the show. Uh, by the end of the show tonight, there's a few more left here. Direct programming. In this method, a story is covered with a specific intent of a viewer walking away, holding a desired point of view. The actual coverage of the story, as compared to the truth, could range from slightly true to entirely untrue. The story is a tool to achieve an end result. And I'm sorry, I just realized that Ian cut all his hair off. He did, he took his hat off, and now we can see that he's got his hair cut, but that's good. It'll, it'll, it grows back quickly, and uh, <laughs> and Ian's in the studio with us, and he's helping us out a little bit, and make sure that we don't really screw up. But we have well, we've been it goes, okay. It goes to the idea, though, of of one's you know uh, sensory perception reality, you know, which you which goes along with George Orwell's uh, "We're going to fill you up with what we want and what we want you to think," etc. And and they do. And they mm-hmm. could because you hear people parroting what they hear on mm-hmm. their favorite news outlet, whether mm-hmm. it's Fox or CNN or um, MSNBC, for example. The fir- my first experience with that was when uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Actually, I was watching the news with my then uh, five and a half or six year old daughter who was in kindergarten, and I wanted to do what my mom did, which was watch the news, have a little martini, and then sit down, have dinner, and chat about. Um, current events mm-hmm. with my kids who were, you know, six, four and two, <laughs> but whatever. In any case, um, you were busy uh, there for a while. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Once every two years anyway. Um, so I was, um, so Aziza was watching the news and I went back to change Faisal's diaper and, and she, and I walked into the room and she said, mommy, what's oral sex? And I was like, what? She got that from the news, right? It was during uh, Clinton's impeachment hearings. Wow. And um, what the question, what is, is. And at that point, that that line there struck an accord within me that was so tantamount to um, what I understand the English language to be simply from a very pragmatic and common sense perspective, which English, unlike so many other languages, you really only need about 400 words to, to actually get by and do well. Whereas other languages require a great deal more of, of um, 
vocabulary and grammar. But in any event, that the idea that the president of the United States could ask that question in such a way to where people in turn doubted their very own common sense understanding of a simple, you know, to be verb. And I think at that point, that is where I systematically saw the media undermining the English language and people's, um, people's understanding of what things mean, which then, you know, goes back to what you just mentioned about we're going to remove that and then we're going to fill you up with what we want. Ourse- mm-hmm. our, their selves mm-hmm. or, or what they want you to, to believe. Yep. Spooky but true. But again, I think that humanity is rebelling against that now. You're seeing that more and more, and, and the alternative media is filling the gaps in many cases. And I think that if you look at the viewership of all these major media outlets, they're falling sharply. Newspapers want bailouts because they, they're not selling enough newspapers anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're even now News Corp, uh, Rupert Murdoch's company, is, is starting this new iPad newspaper to try to capture back some of the of the uh, audience that they're losing with the, with the real paper newspapers. Mm-hmm. But it's not about the medium. It's about telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. If, if you had a newspaper that was really telling the truth, and it was widely, people would buy it if they really felt like they were getting the truth. Mm-hmm. But the fact is they, they've lost credibility because of, of the content, not the medium. Well, do you remember that story back a couple years ago when um, someone reported on online uh, this completely fabricated story? And all of the major newspapers picked it up and repeated it. Yes. And, and this was a guy who had done this from a class. I think he went to NYU. And, um, and the, you know, the, these, the major um, uh, newspapers, and I don't believe it was on television, but or, um, news, yeah, but uh, television, sorry. Anyway, I can't remember what the story is. Do you remember what the story was about? I don't I just, recall. I, just, but I was, can see the guy's face it. and I can see him being interviewed. He got in some trouble, which seems silly to me. But um, yeah, so so these news journalists had picked up the story without doing any investigative journalism on the piece themselves. They just did what most people which do. Which violates their oath of yeah, being yep. a journalist. But see, that's what they're doing more and more now, is they're just basically picking up government talking points or right or left talking points and repeating them on the air, and they're not really doing their own investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. They're just basically reciting what they're, what they're told to read and making it look good. If they're good actors, they can make it look like it's really coming from them and not who told them to say it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the disturbing part, you know. I mean, and, and then again, people, uh, I've heard people who are Republicans talk about Obama reading from a teleprompter. Well, yeah, he does. However, what's the difference if you read from a teleprompter or read from a paper like Reagan used to do so masterfully? Yeah. But, I mean, Reagan was still doing essentially the same thing. He just wasn't using a teleprompter. He was just reading a speech that somebody else wrote for him. Yes. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. I guess the only difference is that, that if you're Ronald Reagan and you got it on paper, you know, you read it a few times over before, whereas with a teleprompter, they could probably surprise you and, and change it midstream or, or mm-hmm. take something out. And, and if you have it on paper, you can, you can put a few things in that you, that you want to, and it's easier to ad-lib or to add things that the uh, controllers uh, mm-hmm. don't necessarily want you to say. Isn't that so sad? It's so disingenuous, the fireside chats that were begun with uh, FDR and, and continued and, and who, you know, Reagan made them so um, popular that um, those State of the Union dresses as well are written by someone else. And they're, the presidents rehearse and act them out so well that it looks as though they are speaking 
in first person on, you know, with their own thoughts and everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's really sad. It, it is. And that's where we're at right now. But, um, but there are other techniques they use, too, to con people. For example, special interest ads posing as news stories. In this technique, a special interest advertisement will be crafted as if it is a news story and presented as such. Only the astute viewer will be able to spot the fraud. And this is from Wikipedia, a video news release. A video news release, VNR, is a video segment created by a PR firm, advertising agency, marketing firm, corporation, or government agency, and provided to television news stations for the purpose of informing, shaping public opinion, or to promote and publicize individuals, commercial products and services, or other interests. In this way, VNRs are also video versions of press releases. Yeah, infotainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> but that's what they call it, uh, infotainment. Yeah. We'll be right back. We'll talk a little bit more about the media. Please give us a call when you get a chance at Free Talk Live, 603-435-1105. We'll be right back. Talk Live Sunday edition. You can go give us a call at 603-435-1105. This evening with you is Wayne. And Michelle. And Michelle, that's right. Ricky and Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> you better start explaining, Lucy. <laughs> Michelle, we've got a call at line three, so we'll resume our conversation on the mainstream media propaganda techniques. But let's take this call and uh, see what he has to say, he or she, I should say. Hello, you're on Free Talk Live with Wayne and Michelle. Hi, this is uh, James. I'm from uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, James. What can we talk with and you about I, tonight? Uh, I came across an interesting uh, story on um, on the Internet about a Norwegian girl who's being deported from Russia after uh, living there uh, since 2002. And she had, uh, wrote a book about uh, hiding in the shadows and she even earned a master's degree while she was um, under an assumed name while she was living in Norway. But now, even in this progressive country, which they point out has an unemployment rate of only three and a half percent, they are uh, deporting her back to Russia. So she was was she originally a Russian? And she yeah, she originally was, and her family sought asylum in Norway because her. Uh, father was indebted to the Russian mafia and they had uh, threatened his life. Oh boy. So they fled to Norway. Wow. And you said that despite Norway having only a 3% unemployment that they're deporting her? Yeah, and they're, it says they're even in need of highly skilled labor, but um, their uh, socialist left party, which is in power, um, in order to garner the right-wing vote, has declared everyone's equal before the law, even though she was named... Norwegian of the Year by a, uh, like, equivalent of the New York Times in Norway um, for the book that she wrote about, uh, the I guess, the illegal life she had to live as an assumed name in Norway. Yeah, wow. but she, she called attention to herself, unfortunately, and, and I, I think she's putting herself at the mercy of, of the state by doing that. Uh, it's a big risk she took by doing that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely, but I think she was hoping to lead a... Uh, 
a movement. She had to speak out to uh, affect change in the country about their immigration laws. Sure. But I found it really interesting how it paralleled the immigration issues in the United States. Well, in Northern Europe, uh, even Switzerland's very difficult to get into if you want to be a citizen. They have a lot of the same draconian immigration laws. And they, and some of those countries do have a very low unemployment rate, but they're very intolerant of foreigners to begin with. And I think they like to keep their little um, plantation or their little island um, the way they want it, unfortunately. Um, so what what her, are her options? Because obviously, if is her whole family going to be deported or just her? Well, um, I believe uh, just she was being deported, and it said her boyfriend, who's actually Norwegian, is moving back with her to Russia. And uh, the government uh, did help her out because she doesn't have to go through a quarantine period now because she was there illegally. And she's got to go through their, I guess, uh, government paperwork of applying for a work permit to come back. Now, what about if, she, if her boyfriend married her, then then she would be married to a Norwegian. And, and I wonder why he just doesn't marry her. Yeah, well, I don't know, and I guess I'm not familiar with Norwegian law, so I guess, uh, especially you're saying how difficult it is to become a citizen, I don't know if it's that easy in Norway or not. I don't believe it is. I think a lot of the Northern European countries are a lot more uh, um, uh, restrictive of who comes in the country and who emigrates there. Immigration is such a, a strange one to call, though. My, I was married to my first husband for, I think it was seven or eight years, uh, when he was deported. And um, he he wasn't employed in the United States, so it's not like he was taking anyone's job. We had three kids, owned some homes, and and all the income that that he made was made outside of this country. So one would think that, according to the you know the rules of of uh, you know wanting to keep the money here in the states or whatever, that um that the immigration would be thrilled that money was being brought in from outside and, you know, essentially spent in this country and which provides jobs or what have you. But um, it, it was really actually pretty arbitrary, it seemed. That's how a one-size-fits-all po- fit, one policy type law mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. It, it doesn't take the individual into account in many cases, and, and that's a big problem. And, of course, you have all the xenophobia, you've got all the extreme nationalism, all, all the things that, that would make people um, intolerant of, of foreigners coming in. When, If you think about it, the reason why the United States became so successful, you notice I didn't say America? <laughs> I did. <laughs> One of the reasons why they, they became so successful is that we had immigrants pouring into the country who were very smart, innovative, like, for example, Albert Einstein, Tesla. There, a lot of the great inventors and, and people in our in our history in the united states were immigrants right they were geniuses that that escaped oppression to come to a a place where the system was better Mm -hmm. so if you have a system that that uh, promotes free enterprise that freedom um you know the ability to work your way up the ladder economically and it's it's fairly fair like it used to be in this country you're going to attract the best and brightest from all over the world uh but when you do what we're doing now, of course, um, you're not going to. You're going to have a brain drain, and that's what's happening in the United States, and that's what will happen to even a country like Norway is not going to get the people they should in if they uh, if they continue these policies. I agree, and I think there's a lack of understanding that uh, especially uh, highly skilled individuals don't take away any anyone's job, especially when you talk about inventors and people who innovate things. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Gates, for example, is worth you know fifty some odd billion dollars, but that's only a small fraction of the quality of life increase that everyone 
benefited from as a result of his software and personal computers, et cetera. Absolutely. There's also a lot of people who have come over here from, say, India, for example, who are computer geniuses that have ended up going back to their own country now and starting companies there because of of the way that that this country is treating entrepreneurs and and immigrants. Mm -hmm. And can't say I blame them. And eventually India will become a better place for those people that have had the experience here under their belts and they go back home. They take even more knowledge and experience with them. And and I, I just I, I want I want to make sure that that our children have the same opportunities we did or maybe more. And, and you know, the government just has to start leaving people alone and letting them prosper on their own. And, and of course, they want to be the final arbiter of who succeeds and who doesn't, what technologies are used and what isn't. And and that's uh, a big problem. And, and I hope we can break out of that. Hey, James, if I if we could go back to what we were talking about earlier regarding um, Egypt and and um, propaganda and things. You you said you're in mm-hmm. South Carolina? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, well, for the purpose here, I, I would say that's the South. I mean, some people argue whether or not South Carolina is the South or whatever. But anyway, I'm going to say that you yeah. are in the South. Definitely, I would agree. Okay, so what is the ambiance um, just out and about regarding uh, what's going on in Egypt there? Because, I mean, South Carolina is part of the Bible Belt, and, um, you know, pro-Christian, um, would you say that, and a pro-military, would you say that people in general are sympathetic to the Egyptian protesters or they are more pro-Mubarak regime? I would say that generally they would support the protesters having more freedom, but I think there is a lot of concern over watching how the revolution goes because, you know, a lot of people like to compare it to the revolution in Iran. And I mean, just to get a sense of, you know, I guess like the popular culture here is on I-26, the major... Hey James, uh, James, you want to yes. stick around? Tell us more when you get back? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, great. You on hold, James. Okay. Free Talk Live, Sunday edition. Wayne and Michelle. Michelle. And we were talking with a, a friend of ours from South Carolina. Let's get back on with him and continue our conversation about immigration and stuff over in Europe. You're on Free Talk Live again. Well, uh, talking about uh, xenophobia and what uh, Michelle was talking about with uh, the South and the Bible Belt, to give you an idea of, I guess, I guess a lot of people's feelings down here is on the major interstate, there's a big billboard, and it says, Islam rising, and it has a scary-looking figure, and he really looks more like a ninja than anyone from the Middle East. (laughs) And he's got some uh, Arabic writing over his forehead, and it's really pretty ridiculous, you know. Mm. Well, the the whole radicalization... The prevailing opinion... The whole radicalization of Islam uh, is, is, is plays right into the hands of, of the tyrants who wish to control us. Yeah. And, and most Muslims that I've met, I mean, every Muslim I've ever met has been a decent person and, and totally tolerant of my beliefs, and I'm tolerant of theirs. And there, there are a small percentage of them that are like that, of course. And you, you look at the Mujahideen during the, the war between the Soviet Union and Afghanistan. Who funded that? The United States. The United States has had uh, had a hand. You know, Washington D.C. has had a hand in radicalizing 
Islam throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, now they want you that to be the boogeyman, to make you afraid so that you'll support blowing them up and, and uh, just, bombing them. Just a note on that. You know, um, I'm, I happen to be a Christian James, and um, the, uh, the country of Iraq was the most friendly toward missionaries of any Middle Eastern country. And um, there was a total 100% open-door policy that if you were a Christian missionary, you were welcome to come into Iraq and preach and do whatever. And um, and basically the United States uh, government's, uh, you know, war on terror has has ended that completely. That's a, it's a real shame, too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it is, it is, but I but I feel like the what y'all were talking about with propaganda and news media manipulating people is how are I guess I feel like the majority of people in the liberty movement are young people in their twenties and thirties, and how do you reach those people that that billboard and Fox News plays into of the baby boomers who are only aging and are going to remain I guess the majority demographic in America for a while. For a while, but actually, you might be interested in this, which is the next technique, because this goes along right w- with what we're talking about. It's called the big lie technique. Tell a lie so large that no one will question the authenticity because of the size of the lie. This is a time-tested, proven propaganda technique and used by the most infamous of media controllers and propagandists. Uh, that I would say that when you look at the whole um, fear-mongering about Islam and about Muslims— that would have to be under that category, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah. they're constantly dr- trying to uh, drum up uh, fear of, of uh, Muslims, and uh, I find it offensive. No, no, I would definitely agree with you on that point. So anything else we can talk about with you tonight, or would that be it? No, no, I think that'll be all. Well, thanks for it's the good call. Talking with you, though. Yeah, you thanks too. so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. No problem. Bye-bye. So, Michelle... Um, I know this yes, hits home. Wayne. This this hits home for you a bit because obviously you were married to a man who was a Muslim, right? Well, actually, he would never define himself as a Muslim. He would define himself as an Egyptian. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so he's definitely Egyptian, and he's basically Muslim in the same way that you know a lot of people here are Christian. I don't know that he's ever even been to a mosque. I think he he owns a Quran, but I don't know that he's ever, you know. Um, read it actually but um he would he would associate with being egyptian rather than muslim but you know i i his family actually um the only people i know that are strict uh, muslims Mm -hmm. are um their employees actually their domestic employees and their um uh one gentleman abdella is very strict muslim and he's gone to mecca and done you know practices the five pillars of the islamic faith and He's definitely the sweetest, kindest man that I've ever met, actually. So I don't, I would never equate him to anything um, of violent nature. And, and um, I'm always, you know, taken aback when, when I make mention of, of, you know, Muslims and, and finding them to be perfectly, you know, nice people from my experience. And, and people will jump on that and say, yeah, Michelle, oh, jihad. Really, that's right, <laughs> Michelle, they really want to kill you. They're just yeah. being nice to you so they can mm-hmm. get you in a dark alley and slit your throat. That, right. That's the kind of mentality that just makes me sick. But one thing that we haven't mentioned here, because over amongst the his Arabic family, they called me a Jew lover because um, as a Christian, you know, I embrace the Jewish faith as well. 
And so, so you know, the worldwide governments have the Jews hating the Arabs and the Christians hating them both and what have you, and we're going to blame Israel. And then this, we could remedy so much of this by simply not entangling ourselves with foreign governments and by not um, taking from the taxpayers money to supplement the um, Arab or Israeli governments. Right. Do you realize, I heard this the other day and I'm not sure if, it, you know, I did not check the statistic, but the, the source was very reliable that, that um, the country of nation of Israel or country of Israel gets more money per person from the United States than the U S gets. Well, that's right. And I, I've heard that too. And also, you know who gets second most foreign aid? Who? Egypt. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. the irony? You yeah, know? Very ironic. And yeah. of course, he, he, uh, since Mubarak came into uh, power, and even before with Anwar Sadat, uh, Egypt and, and, and Israel kind of reached a peace accord, which is a good thing. But a lot of, uh, Mubarak is seen as kind of like the stooge of the West, uh, by a lot of the people in, in Egypt from what I saw in interviews and, and from uh, Mubarak's family is, is probably the richest family in Egypt and one of the richest people or families mm-hmm. in the world, actually, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I, n- I never knew that before. But uh, the bottom line is that people, uh, we have to decentralize more. We have to, I think, focus more on, on uh, self-determination and voluntary relationships. And the state really is, is becoming obsolete. And, uh, you know, if you look at what's happening right now, uh, you know, the, a light many times burns the brightest right before it burns out. Right. And the state is really on its last legs because all over the world, people are Well, you are, are full of are cliches, rebelling. aren't you? <laughs> on its last legs. Yeah. It burns brightest before it burns out. <laughs> I know. Awesome. I got to stop that. <laughs> Don't stop believing. <laughs> And I, I find, you know, uh, I'm not a big believer in organized religion because when you become that into a religion, that's actually what divides us. Mm-hmm. And so I like to, to take from different uh, religious uh, disciplines and, and find what works for me, what really rings true for me and, and take it out. I, I learned a lot from being Buddhist for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I consider myself a Christian, but yet I do embrace uh, uh, Jewish ideas and Muslim ideas as well. Whatever feels like truth to me, I'm I'm not going to reject it just because that's not my religion. Right. You know, and I think that we have to be more open minded about other people's belief systems and and the basic tenets are all, about, all the same. Yeah, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, you know, and and um, and the non aggression principle. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what religion you are when you're aggressing against somebody else, whether they're within your own religion or in a different religion. That's mm-hmm. when you become um, in the wrong. In my mm-hmm. in my Opinion. Mm-hmm. So, getting back to uh, these these uh, propaganda techniques, here's a familiar one, uh, Michelle, that you might identify with: omission. This is a simple, straightforward, and effective technique for news that doesn't fit your agenda, or news that might cause your advertisers or special interest supporters to withhold support for news that might not fit with the overall storyline and talking points. Just don't cover the story. Alternatively, if a high-profile person carries an opinion or message you would like to suppress, don't ever invite that person as a guest. Since you or your peers don't cover it, it didn't happen. Now, of course, uh, they, did, they did that at first with Ron Paul. And he became so popular now that they, they find the need to interview him because he's so popular and they want to get viewership. Right. It's, it's ironic, but that's one of the first stages. They ignore you. And, of course, omission is part of that. We'll be right back. We'll talk more about that. On Free Talk Live. It's hard to ignore me. 
No, it is. You're right. That red <laughs> hair just really stands Big out. Big mouth, red hair. Welcome back to the final segment of the Sunday Night Edition of Free Talk Live. You still have some time if you want to call in and squawk at us. <laughs> <laughs> the number is 603-435-1105. And it's Wayne with you tonight. And it's Michelle. And we're just talking and squawking <laughs> about different things. <laughs> and having our, our maiden voyage of the Sunday Night First Sunday of the Month Edition with... Um, Unfortunately, Sam is not with us, but he did call in earlier. He flew the coop. He flew the coop. But he's he, not squawking. But he's not squawking, but he did do some talking. <laughs> this is horrific. <laughs> I know. Well, I've got to keep you laughing, Michelle. You're at your best when you're, <laughs> when, you. when you're bright-eyed and laughing and happy. Bright-eyed, you know? bushy-tailed. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Another cliche. <laughs> but anyway, uh, getting back to some of the methods of, of media manipulation. And of course, omission is a big one where you just ignore somebody and, and um, well, I think, pretend they don't exist like Ron Paul, like I did with him. Go I ahead. think a more powerful um, uh, thing of omission is when you tell the truth, you just leave out some things. Oh, that's, they, they do that the, a lot. You know, I watched, um, I had an experience in the last uh, couple of weeks where there was something said about me and, and this person did not lie, absolutely did not lie. They just did not tell the entire story. And it turned an entire group of people's perception about something um, simply because they, they left out a crucial detail. That can happen, but they but they could I, they could accurately claim that they didn't lie. So so when you try to so in trying to defend yourself or to present the other position, um, the you know the commentator you know or the moderator says, well, what are you saying? This person lied? No, I'm not saying you're li- that they lied. So they told the truth. Well, yes, they told the truth, but you it, that's it. You're done. You never even get to finish the rest of your sentence because mm-hmm. you have just validated that in fact they told the truth. And they did not lie, so they are right, and you're... And there's also a lot of situations where they'll interview somebody, and they'll have an agenda. For example, Suzanne Summers, you know, when they interview her about her book, about uh, cancer doctors, they they have an agenda to make her look like a nut. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a live interview, they'll they'll interview her for maybe 20 minutes and take two or three minutes of the worst possible footage to make her look crazy. Right. The other way they can do it, of course, is, is if it's a live interview is they just shut your mic off mm. and just go over to you when they, when they feel like it mm-hmm. and, and really try to control the, um, uh, the conversation, but, mm-hmm. but keep you from really saying too much. And then the opposite technique from omission, they call, they refer to it as this author does volume and coordination. Now this is the opposite of omission. The goal of this technique is to create broad awareness of a propaganda point through a media deluge. This is often punctuated by many or all of the big six joining in unison to promote or hype the same propaganda point, idea, or story. In this way, even a small or trivial item can be boosted to the forefront of the collective consciousness. If desired through TV, magazines, movies, and sitcoms, any point can be focused in the forefront uh, in the minds of, of the population. 
This technique can be used effectively for short-term or more importantly, long-term results. As with many techniques in this guide, this technique becomes more effective the more consolidated the media becomes. So in other words, they can distract you. They can, uh, for example, Monica Lewinsky, you mm-hmm. know, during the Clinton administration, mm-hmm. they, they had that whole thing going, but there were a lot of other things going on in the background. Uh, what Congress was doing, for example, there, there are other things happening that they didn't want you to see. So they basically got you distracted with this big her dress. scandal. Yeah, her dress, the stain yeah. in her dress and, right. and, uh, and, and all cigars. That. <laughs> I mean, just... And, and there's been many, many other examples of this. And of course... Um, even in more recent times, you know, there's been there's been a few distractions, even with Obama and, and Michelle Obama. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, you'll hear someone like Rush Limbaugh making fun of some stupid little thing as if uh, Michelle. I mean, yeah, sometimes the first lady kind of go can can um, be over the top on certain issues because they're trying to make a difference. And sure. And the media tries to hype that. But uh, and the, nobody's voting for women for president. So that is the closest that a woman's going to get. Yeah, I really think in our lifetime we could see a, a female president, though, Michelle. I don't want to see a president. I like self-government. Well, that's true. Yeah. Although if it, I, you know, I suppose like if I were ever to get married again, I, I wouldn't mind saying hello, Mr. President, and, <laughs> and being first lady. You know, I mean, like just you know, in the privacy of our own home. I mean, I would, I would play president and first lady, but you know, no, I'm really not interested in all the, uh, the idolatry that goes along with the state and with government and um that's really all i have to say about that well i agree with you i think that that there are people who do worship the state and believe in the state and will vote for presidents next time around and i think that if a female a good female ran against obama she could win i don't think it's uh caribou barbie there but i think that (laughs) if uh but but, if, but she has such a cute little look and everything. <laughs> well, she actually fits the Republican Party very well because she's the bomb thrower. Uh-huh. That's really she's kind of playing Ann Coulter's role now where she right. throws bombs and right. she says says ridiculous things to a lot of people but to the hardcore Republicans they buy they just lap it all up. Uh, yeah, I actually put as my Facebook status um do me a favor, please, and if you are a Christian yet support the war against Muslims or any other group, please unfriend me as I am tired of seeing your crap on my wall. Mm-hmm. By the way, you need to bone up on your scripture. And that was in response to all of the um, all of the uh, tags I was getting on Sarah Palin. I mean, anyone that knows me knows that I don't vote for one thing. and I'd, If I did vote, I wouldn't vote for Sarah Palin. But her support of, of um, anti-Islamic, you know, uh, legislation and rhetoric and everything just and she calls herself a christian woman makes me want to vomit she does not represent me and my ideals not not as a woman not as a christian not as a liberty liberty lover nothing well she's basically parroting all the neocon talking points Mm -hmm. she's being uh, groomed for maybe a better job or a higher job later on above what she was as governor of of of, uh, alaska but I don't think she has a very good chance unless unless before she quit. <laughs> before she quit, right? Exactly. Quitter. <laughs> but I think there there are other, like Michelle Bachman probably would be a better choice if you were a Republican and you wanted a woman candidate. She probably would be better. I don't think she has the baggage that that Sarah Palin has at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, which brings us to the next uh, media uh, propaganda technique: humanization and dehumanization, or personalization and depersonalization. If you show dead bodies, it generates a reaction. If you humanize a story, you generally uh, you generate sympathy for the victim. 
Alternatively, if you avoid humanization or, or de, uh, dehumanize atrocities or awful acts, you can avoid public sympathy being created. This technique is often used to report on war and decide on behalf of the viewer or reader who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It doesn't have to be uh, used in wartime, however. Propaganda pieces can be run to humanize bad guys or dehumanize good guys. This technique can and often does go so far as to frame the villain as a victim and vice versa. This is a very powerful technique which has been used uh, with great effectiveness. Friends of the media are good. Enemies are bad. This technique alone can accomplish that goal when used by a skilled group of propagandists. And again, we see this happen because in order to get the American public bloodthirsty so that they'll send their children over to shoot people, Mm -hmm. uh, they've got to demonize and dehumanize uh, people in foreign countries, people of foreign religions, right? and get everybody afraid. And then all of a sudden you hear the war drums beating. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, all these men are being sent over there with rifles and, and bombs and tanks and all sorts of stuff to kill people. And to, and of course, they're the bad people over there that we're killing. I would say we're killing, but they're killing. And again, you know, I mean, George Carlin used to always say that he used to watch this stuff and he didn't care. He just, he, he viewed it as entertainment because he couldn't believe how stupid people are. Right. And and I go into that sometimes too. You know, he just likes to see the stuff, you know, he says... Do you remember hearing the interview with, with um, back in the 90s with Dennis Miller? Where no. it, was a, it was an interview. Dennis Miller had I haven't had HB- a television for like 20 years. Well, it's, a, it's actually on YouTube. You can watch it. But Dennis Miller used to have a show on HBO. Everybody and- wants to rule the world. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. You remember the- that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well on this one interview, you can see it on YouTube. It just watches. It's, it's Dennis, Dennis Miller on his show from HBO for the 90s interviewing George Carlin. Okay. It's, I it's, love George Carlin. It's fabulous so. mm-hmm. because George Carlin just t- tells it like it is like no one I've ever seen. Or, of course, God bless him. He's, he's gone from us now, but his legacy lives on on YouTube and, and of course on his CDs and things he's done over the years. But um, I miss the guy. I really do. Well, you know, I just actually, speaking of George Carlin, I just watched a little um, YouTube video about uh, about teaching your children to question authority and how that is so much more important than teaching them how to read. He said, if they want to learn how to read, they'll eventually learn, learn how to read. Teach them to question authority, which I've done, and I must say, it's an exhausting way to go. <laughs> and thinking critically as well. Yes. Well, that's it for tonight, Michelle. This was fun. Thanks, it was Wayne. Fun. I look is... forward to it um, in March. Yes, uh, the first Sunday in March, we'll be back with the Sunday Night Edition co-host show. In the meantime, have a great evening, and I hope your team won the Super Bowl. (laughs) That other distraction from tonight's show, be well.